everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. Uh, it's a privilege again to be here with you guys. Always enjoy being here with all of you. It's always an honor to come and come and speak to you guys. So uh, this weekend, uh, this Sunday, uh, Eric had asked me, uh, and he's given me the opportunity to come and teach and continue the series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, for those of you that haven't been here, uh, for those of you that this is maybe your first time sitting in on one of these uh, series uh, messages and If this isn't, I would like to just start off by recapping what we've been going through in the book of Galatians as we go through the fruit of the Spirit. Each week, you guys have seen on the video there just now, all the different fruit of the Spirit, and week by week, we're expanding and and diving deep into one fruit in particular, and this Sunday, we're going to be continuing that. Um, Last week, you guys did goodness. This week, we are going to be speaking on one in particular, uh, the fruit of faithfulness. Before we get into that, I just want to kind of recap, like I said, uh, the book of Galatians. It's chapter 5. If you haven't gotten your Bibles, don't worry, I'm going to read it for us. But I just want to kind of set the the tone, set the theme of what this series is around. Um, And then we'll get right into today's fruit being faithfulness. So, If you have your Bibles, it's in Galatians 5. I'm going to be starting at verse 16. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we see from that, we can glean from this passage here in Galatians, and what Paul is saying is that without him, we can do nothing. Without Christ, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Believers, we cannot live the Christian life alone. Fruit is something that he wants. It's what he wants. And in order for us to be able to produce that fruit, one, we have to abide in God, abide in Christ, but also yield to the Holy Spirit who lives in each and every believer here today. Another thing that I want us to notice, and we've talked about this already, but just a quick reminder that if we read here in verse 22, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. 
I want you to notice it does not say are, right? It does not say the fruit of the Spirit are X, Y, and Z. What that means and what that implies here is that the fruit is a singular thing. It's one. You cannot pick and choose fruit. They are not separate from each other. There's a harmonious unity between each and every fruit that is mentioned here in verse 22 and 23. I tend to picture it like a prism. I don't know if you've ever seen a prism before, but try to picture a prism. Prism has all all of these different, intricate, diverse sides, and they're all beautiful, but they're all one. Although they're multifaceted, it's one. And that's what, a, a, that's what I want to, I guess, paint a picture in your head of what fruit is. That's what we should identify it as. Although it looks different, fruit is one singular thing. Another thing that I want to uh, mention is Charles Ryrie. He says this in his book, So Great Salvation. He says, developing Christian character is fruit. If the goal of Christian life may be stated as Christ-likeness, then surely every trait developed in us that reflects his character must be fruit that is very pleasing to him. So it's important for us as believers to be able to reflect and ask ourselves, are we producing fruit? Is my life producing fruit? As a believer, that is a sign of our salvation. We're not saved by works. However, our fruit, it shows our relationship with God. And so, today, as we talk about fruit, today, as we talk about faithfulness, I want to discuss, obviously, what faithfulness is. First thing is first, faithfulness, it's identified about 60 times in the Bible, and 40 of them are found in the book of Psalms, and they're in reference specifically to the faithfulness of God. In the book of Psalms, we see here, A godly person who struggles time and time again, and their total dependence is upon the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God is absolutely necessary for the believer. We see that in Scripture again several times. We see different references to it. We see how we need God's faithfulness for our salvation. We need it for deliverance from trials. We need it for deliverance from temptation. Thinking about 1 Corinthians 10.13, we need it for our sanctification. We need it for our forgiveness of sins. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And ultimately, we are in need of His faithfulness. We rely on His faithfulness for eternal hope um, in eternal life. So, the Christ, a Christian's life, it totally rests upon God's faithfulness. And it's not just in the biblical references that we see this. The entire Bible is a testimony of God's faithfulness. We see it in its entirety. It portrays and emits God's faithfulness to us. It shows that very clearly throughout the entirety of Scripture. And we can have assurances in that because the Bible also says that God is faithful to his promises, to his word. Faithfulness, then, as a believer, should be something we hold in high regard, right? If we are to emulate Christ, if we are to be more like Christ, 
and emulate the character of Christ, then we have to hold it to high esteem. Faithfulness should be something we hold to high esteem regardless or not, of not whether or not we have the natural inclination to do that, right? It's not in our nature to be faithful. And what I mean is we often tend to claim that we're faithful, but the reality is we aren't. We don't really show it. That being said, the reason that's the case is because faithfulness, it often comes at a cost. There's a price for faithfulness. And in most cases, a lot of the cases, we don't want to pay that price. So faithfulness. What is faithfulness? What is it, not just in the context of today's society, but what does the Bible say about faithfulness? What does it look like? When does it come into play? That's what I want to kind of get at today. Faithfulness, if you were to look at it, by definition is this. It's a firm it's firm in adherence to promises or an observance of duty. The Bible indicates that it's something that which is firm, that can be counted upon. If you were to look at the word, it implies integrity. It implies honesty. It's when you think about faithfulness, you think of the opposite. It contrasts corrupt, careless, irresponsible, negligent, you would describe somebody that's faithful with certain synonyms like honest, reliable, dependable, somebody that's trustworthy. These are things that we use to describe somebody that's faithful. And today, I want to turn to somebody who would be described by those things. Daniel. Daniel serves as an example to us. If you turn to Daniel chapter 6, we find here Daniel in a precarious kind of situation. Here, King Darius, he's planning to set Daniel over his kingdom. Previously, he had been appointed the governor of, uh, in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to be reading it here, but we find that this anger, to say the least, the governor's uh, which is the satraps, you'll see that, but there are governors and the presidents of the time. And what we, rot, what we find here, what we'll read, is that they start to plot against him. If you read from verse 1, we'll be going from verse 1 to verse 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, shall, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
So we find here, and I want to hone in on verse 4, that as they plotted and conspired against Daniel, they ultimately came to the conclusion that they could not find any complaint or any fault in Daniel because he was faithful. In other translations of this text, it says trustworthy as well. But we see here that Daniel was blameless. They said that the only ground that they can find against him was in regards to the laws of God. So today, I want us to look at Daniel and see why he was a hallmark of somebody that is faithful. I want us to identify certain things that would deem us faithful as well. For us to look at our own lives and be honest with ourselves. Have we been faithful in certain areas? The first thing that I want to look at and identify in his character is this. He was, or is, displays total trustworthiness. That's the first point. Total trustworthiness meaning you are absolutely showing the complete the whole truth, you are entirely honest. Daniel, he wasn't corrupt. He was known for the opposite, as a matter of fact. He was a faithful person. And he wasn't just honest in the way that he spoke. He was honest in his personal affairs and his relationships. The problem is that we lie and we deceive. Oftentimes we pretend to be Something that we're not. Let me give you a more practical example of lies and deceit in our lives. Maybe as a student you're sitting here and you can identify with this, but you've at least faced temptation to cheat on an exam. I know that some more than others. I know that I had my fair share of temptations growing up. and I I fell short a few times. Another example of this, recently I had to buy a car, and I know I've mentioned this a few times already, I think I've mentioned it last time, so this season has at least served as a great way to create sermon illustrations, at the very least, Um, but I've been trying to buy a car, I eventually did, but with my car, I've been very careful, very cautious in actually buying the car, because I know I know that people have a, they are predisposed to lie. I've been very cautious in buying a car because I know that it's very easy for somebody who is selling a used car to not be entirely truthful about the car they're selling. I know it's easy for somebody to perhaps cover something up, you know, kind of give you half the truth, mask something, kind of just prop up something, put tape on it, but not permanently fix it, not tell you if there's something wrong, cover it up. I know people that have been taken advantage of uh, in regards to this, and I know it's possible. And so that's, that's a sad reality that people have a tendency to do that. And I'm not saying that everybody does, but those are things you take in consideration. 
you realize that honesty, it, it is involved with all different aspects of life. Let me give you another example. Growing up, you know, I wanted to go out and have fun, do stuff with my friends. I wanted to go, I don't know, watch a movie, go to the mall. Back, back when I grew up, or was growing up, during my childhood, my teen years, going to the mall was a thing, right? Everybody would go to the mall, hang out. You wouldn't really buy anything, uh, but you'd just go to the malls. I don't know if you guys still do that, but we used to do that all the time. I, just, I don't get it, but we did that. Everybody was at the mall. So I wanted to go to the mall. I wanted to hang out with my friends during the week, you know, on a weekday. Maybe I didn't even want to go out. Maybe I just wanted to do something for myself. I wanted to go watch, you know, a movie downstairs. I wanted to play video games, whatever it was. Trying to be obedient because I knew I had restrictions throughout the week. I had to get permission from my parents to do those things. So I'd always ask, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I do X, Y, and Z, whatever I wanted to do? And I'm sure that some of you guys can relate to that. The common response that I heard, the thing that I heard the most, was always one thing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know? I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but every time I wanted to do something throughout the week, I always heard this from my mom, without a fault, every time. Have you done your homework? Have you done your homework? Every time I would hear, have you done your homework? And immediately I'd go, oh, yeah. No, yeah, have my homework? Done. Or even better, I'd say, oh, today we didn't have any homework. Today we didn't have any homework. The truth is I was lying. I definitely had homework. She probably knew I had homework too. But we lie. Why? Because it's easier to lie? Is it because we want to save ourselves the embarrassment? We just want to avoid trouble? Sometimes we want to avoid disappointment? We lie. And sure, in the total scope of things, if you look at the, oh yeah, I didn't have homework, lie, that may not seem like a massive lie, but despite there being little ramifications and consequences to that, I want us to realize that that's not something that we can dismiss. They're lies. just want to remind you that from God's perspective, there are no qualifications for lying. His word is very clear that he detests lying, even the tiniest of them. If you look at Proverbs 12, verse 22, it says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. It's better for us to be silent and not say anything than to lie. So if we're honest with ourselves, we dismiss these social lies, but I want us to realize these are more common in our day-to-day lives than some of us would like to admit. And I'm not trying to be hypercritical about these certain things, but I think it's important for us to take consideration of them. right? Because Scripture explicitly says about Daniel that his enemies could not find any fault. And I'm not sure if you guys have any enemies, but I'm sure that if you 
do, or if you did, you know that they would look for anything to get at you with. I think that from reading this story, these governors, these presidents, they would have looked for any inconsistency, anything that was off in Daniel's story, any little lie they would have wanted to and would have done whatever they could to use that against him. But again, the Bible says what? They could find no ground, find no fault in him. He lived a life of integrity, and we ought to do the same. And if that's not enough, look at the ultimate example that we have, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 46, he's speaking to Jesus. He says this, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? If Jesus had not lived a life of absolute truth, how could he ask that question? As believers, we are, called, we are called to be like Christ. And today, although we live in a day and an age where people consistently compromise the truth, we should be totally trustworthy. We should be honest in all things, even in the smallest of details, even if it's a small little lie in your head, I want us to be mindful of that because that's where it begins. That's where it starts. If we're able to express the truth in the little things, then we can do the same for the more important things in life. Think of the passage in Luke 16.10, right? It says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Small examples of faithfulness, they result in greater faithfulness later. That's the first point, being totally trustworthy, total trustworthiness. The second thing that I want to highlight is replete reliability. And I know, first thing you're probably thinking of, man, this guy must play Wordle a lot. It's a pretty impressive word. I know, but no, it's just, I just have a serious case of what some pastors have, and it's uh, alliteration. I have a need to make things cohesive, so that's why I use replete reliability. But this does make sense, and I'm going to explain what I'm trying to say. It means to be full, overflowing, to be completely dependable. Daniel, he wasn't irresponsible. Instead, people relied on him. Do you guys know anybody like that? Do you know somebody that's always on time? Somebody that is always there for you? Somebody who keeps their word? Nowadays, dependability is a virtue that I believe that people don't really, I would say they, it doesn't take precedent over convenience and in, in, in desire anymore right? Your word is not your bond anymore. It used to be, I feel like that. Nowadays, it's more of like, ah, if it's convenient to me, if it's what I want, that's what I'll do. Society today, it's all about me, 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 me. But I want to remind you that as a follower of Jesus, 
It is our duty to be dependable to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but most importantly to God. There's a quote by Jerry Bridges that highlights this. It says this. It says, Reliability is not just a social obligation. It is a spiritual obligation. Truth is, God is way more concerned with our faithfulness than any other person relying on us for something in particular. If you look at a psalm that David writes in Psalm 15, as he addresses the proper approach to worship God, he says this in verse 4. He says, Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. What he's saying here is we ought to be individuals who even when we take oaths, when we make promises that are to our own detriment, even when it costs us, even when it hurts, we do not change. Even if it means that we suffer. That's the difference. That's what sets apart godly faithfulness from what this world identifies as dependability. I think of also when my mom would ask me time and time again to help her. I don't know about you, but my family has a ridiculous obsession with landscaping. My stepdad, I think he mows the lawn every day after work. And that just, that doesn't make any logical sense. Um, that's like me getting a haircut every day. Um, would be kind of nice, but... Um, but he mows the lawn every day. My mom loves gardening. My mom, she comes home from work. She's like, oh, I'm exhausted. And she's like, she's saying that while she's putting on her gardening boots and putting on her gloves. And she goes outside and says, oh, I'm so tired. And she's cutting weeds. Like, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but they love doing that stuff. And obviously, you know, as an obedient son, uh, as a loving son, when she asked me for help, oftentimes, I remember growing up on the weekends, she would ask me, hey, can you just put aside your morning on Saturday or the afternoon so that we can work outside together? We got to get this stuff done. We got to do this and that. Can you be mindful of that this upcoming weekend? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I get a text from my buddies and say, hey, y'all want to play soccer so-and-so time? And if you know me, there are very few things in life that I love more than soccer. And so I remember several times, you know, this is not always the case. However, I remember making, uh, making an agreement with my mom, telling her that she would have me at her disposal to help her. Maybe your parents ask you, hey, can you babysit your younger sibling? And then your friend's like, yo, we're going to go watch a movie. You want to come? What do you do? Although we're called to be obedient, right? As individuals who keep our commitments, uh, we're supposed to do that even when it hurts because ultimately our responsibility is before God. And that's just one simple example. It might seem insignificant. You know, it's just one day that I get to miss out on soccer, but I want to remind you that although that cost doesn't seem very large, there will be times in life where the cost is greater. 
It might mean getting thrown in a lion's den in Daniel's case. But regardless, we're supposed to keep our word even if it means getting hurt or sacrificing, suffering, not just when it's convenient. Third point, last point, dogged devotion, meaning relentless, meaning consistent, determined, unfailing loyalty. Faithful person is also identified as somebody who rides things out, right, through the thick and thin, right? You think of somebody that's loyal, you think of somebody that's with you, it's your ride or die. That's what they say nowadays. Solomon, who was the wisest person to ever live, aside from Jesus himself, obviously he's going to put it eloquently. He says this in Proverbs 17, 17. He says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Someone who is faithful, a true friend, right, they don't abandon you in times of stress, of difficult seasons. And I think it's something that we should obviously temper. We have to temper our expectations of what that actually looks like. But ultimately, someone who does abandon their friend is really just looking out for their own best interest, not the needs of a friend. You know, I've always admired the relationship that Jonathan had with David. I always, I always thought it was very encouraging to me personally. I always said if I have twins... Twin boys, I might name them Jonathan and David for that reason. But if you don't know that story, uh, Jonathan, he is willing to put his life on the line, right? Ultimately, his loyalty to David cost him the throne, nearly was killed by his own father, but he was able to put that all aside, sacrifice all of that, and remain loyal to David. So whether it be truth, whether it be dependability, whether it be loyalty, faithfulness is a costly virtue. We've seen that time and time again, and only the Holy Spirit can allow us to pay that price. But I want to highlight one more thing about loyalty before we come to a close. Loyalty does not mean blindly and incorrectly advocating for the wrongdoings and the mistakes of our friends. Watching our friends partake in doing things that we know are wrong, looking the other way is not being a loyal friend. Partaking and in, in, in participating in that is not being a loyal friend. Loyalty is speaking the truth instead in faithfulness, but also in love. We don't leave our friends unchecked, but we hold them accountable to God's word. Is that fun to do all the time? No. Do we like having people point out the sin, exposing that in our lives? Not always. Is it often a thankless task as a faithful friend? Yes. But a devoted and loyal person, and in this case, a friend, has the responsibility to do so. And we should be grateful to have people in our lives who can do that for us. If we are to grow in faithfulness, we have to understand the biblical standard of faithfulness. Like Daniel, 
He was not corrupt, irresponsible, careless, negligent. Instead, he was trustworthy, he was reliable, he was devoted. This isn't something that you can accomplish just by trying. Remember, this is the fruit of the Spirit. But I also want to remind you that you won't become a faithful person without trying. We are called to be faithful even to the point of death. So in conclusion, find specific matters in life that require faithfulness. Make it a habit to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And don't stop there, but don't neglect to also follow through and take action. Act. As we close now, I just want to recall that faithfulness, it includes faithfulness to, to God, of course, but faithfulness is something that requires faithfulness to one another as well. It is required in our relationships with God, with the people around us, and faithfulness means being faithful wherever you are and whatever you do. So the question ultimately is, have you been faithful? Have you been faithful? Trustworthy. Be somebody that is honest in your speech, in your actions, in your relationships? Are you dependable? Are you somebody that people can rely on? Are you true to your word? Are you loyal? Are you somebody that does not run from adversity, but is present? Have you been faithful? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to be together to open your word and, and learn and grow together. Um, thank you, Lord, for the spirit uh, that we have, Lord, that we um, are able to live out the fruit of the spirit. Lord, I praise, uh, I praise you for for all that you've done, and, and I pray that these students would be mindful of their day-to-day, mindful of um, their words and their actions, that we would be honest, that we would not have any fault as Daniel didn't, Lord, that that might be our ambition, that we would strive to be consistent, Lord, faithful, that we would be dependable, that we would be reliable, that we would be true to our word, regardless of the cost, Lord, and that we would be loyal. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done and continue to do in the lives of each individual here, Lord. Pray for a great remainder of the day. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Good morning, and citizens.